love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlewood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hello everyone, Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. It began long ago. Two young boys in an American town riding their bikes to school and Little League practice. Over the years, the boys became fast friends, united in their love for stories where things would go horribly wrong. Pour yourself a strong beverage and buckle up. You're in the shallow end with Schnebley and Toth. Hey, if I'm not mistaken, JG, this is episode 83 and our first episode of the new year. Am I right? The new year, 2024. And uh, I am now just getting used to writing 2023. So I'm (laughs) screwed. It does have that New Year smell to it, it though. Uh, don't you love that? I, I got one of those little uh, car fresheners. It's like a New Year smell. And uh, I remember you talking about, uh, was it Josh who said, your dad, your car smells like a shoe store? They can never completely duplicate or accurately no. duplicate that new car smell. No. It comes close, but it's it's not the same thing. No, it's not the same thing. It just ends up smelling like a Tom McCann's. <laughs> and who needs that? <laughs> Really? Nobody. Nobody. Are there any Tom McCanns left, do you think? Would it have been funnier if I said pay less? Or uh, DSW? Yeah. Um, I don't know. That's a great question. Do they still make Tom McCanns? I think they do. They must. Okay. We're going to tell ourselves they do. Do they still make... This came up last night at dinner. Do they still make Foster Grant sunglasses? That was your dinner conversation? Well, that was pre-dinner. Oh, okay. Then we opened a bottle of wine and things got serious. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if they do or not, but I remember the ad campaign. Uh, who's that behind those Foster Grants? Well, that's exactly what our pal Rick said, uh, uh, because there was a guy in church last night behind us who kept his sunglasses on the entire time. And I thought, I thought this is sort of like a Daryl Hall rock and roll thing or mm. just sensitive to light or what. But Well, uh, you are in L.A. If yours is at all serious, I think you should go first because mine is pretty light. <laughs> all right. Mine does have a, a bit of a serious tone to it. So I'll, I'll go. I'll go first. You know, we there are some really crazy and very strict laws around the globe in different countries. You know, we've all heard crazy stories about yeah. people in various parts of the world that have been arrested and flogged for chewing gum, you know, th- yeah. those types of things. Buying crayons on a Sunday or something stupid like that. Yeah. Yeah. Indonesia. Oh, boy. Uh, there's some pretty serious stuff going on over there. The Atta region, located in the northern tip of uh, Sumatra in Indonesia, holds 
a pretty serious place in the country's history as the first region to embrace Islam. Okay. The region is known for implementing Sharia law. Yeah, and that's that's hardcore stuff, right? Hard. Yeah. Hardcore stuff. Yeah. And it's the only province in Indonesia to do so. Over a decade ago, Atta was, was granted the autonomy to implement its own stringent versions of Islamic laws. Wow. In 2014, uh, the region, and it's just this one particular region, it passed laws criminalizing homosexuality. And that became effective in 2015. And under Sharia law, activities such as extramarital sex, gambling, the consumption, production and distribution of alcohol are all criminal offenses. Yeah. And a major supporter for putting these laws in place was the Indonesian Atta Ulema Council. Uh, it's a religious body led by a guy named Muklis Boon Muhammad. Muklis bin Muhammad. Um, they advised, they actually advised the local government and actually helped to write these anti-adultery laws as well as banning the gambling and same-sex relations. I'm not, I'm not uh, promoting those things, adultery or gambling or mm, drugs yeah. or anything like that, but I'm guessing that this group's holiday office party is not very fun. <laughs> <laughs> You know? No. <laughs> Would you like something to drink? Oh, never mind. There's no photocopying your ass. No. You know, on a, no. on a Xerox machine. Not there. Not there. No. There was a notable case in 2017. Two men in Atta received 83 lashes after being found guilty of engaging in uh, homosexual acts. Uh, I understand you want to send a message that certain things are not tolerable under this very, very strict uh religion and and set of laws how does a judge decide 83 why 83 what's that about why not 82 yeah the research i did said that the punishment that it, that can be imposed can be up to 100 lashes of the cane Ugh. and so they decide somewhere between one and a hundred i guess based on how serious they think the individual act was these punishments are carried out in public yeah. on an outdoor stage. Uh, but the good thing is they don't let children watch. Well, that's good. They're not, uh, yeah. they're not yeah. brutal yeah. about it. They, they do have some decorum. The Sharia law in Atta is enforced on, interestingly, both Muslims and non-Muslims. Here are some of the uh, some of the uh, punishments. As I said, the law enacted uh, in the province that for uh, anti-gay, anti-adultery laws, uh, up to a hundred lashes of the cane for same-sex activities or sex outside the marriage. Um, Amnesty International, they don't really care for this. They <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> I can imagine they would feel that way. Yeah, they uh, they think it's a significant step step backwards in uh, human rights. Uh, gambling is is harshly punished as well, um, and and drinking alcohol maybe not as serious. You, you might not get a hundred lashings yeah. for uh, drinking alcohol, but but I wonder, like a a hard lemonade, you know, like a Mike's. How would? Yeah, yeah. Would that be like three lashes? No more than five. Yeah, for that. But yeah. vodka, forget it. No game on. So anyway, these laws were enacted in 2014. Let's flash forward a few years. Uh, September 2019. 
Police were patrolling the beachfront in Atta. Nothing out of the ordinary, just the usual night shift. The air smells of sea salt. Everything was quiet. It's pretty uneventful in this area. But things take uh, a, a little bit of a turn. Now, normally it's quiet and uh, there are no people on the beach or cars on the beach, especially this time of, of evening. That makes sense. And the police are cruising along and they see a car. Cars parked at the mm. beach at night aren't a common sight in mm. uh, in this province. And that's a red flag. So they've got their rules. They got their strict rules. So the police approach the car. They're curious and a bit on edge because they don't know what they're walking into. The windows are fogged up and it's clear that there's movement inside the vehicle. Maybe just doing some light dusting. So they tap on the windows, not really sure what to expect, but uh, a moment passes and I'm sure it's a tense one. Everything's still, then the door opens. Inside, there's a guy and a woman, and right away, they can tell by their mannerisms and uh, the, the way that they're reacting that they're not married. She's not his wife. That much is clear. He looks up at the police, and um, he has this look in his eyes like he knows he's been caught in one place in Indonesia where you don't want to be caught in a situation like this. I can only imagine what this must have been, what must have been going through this guy's head, if you'll pardon the expression. They ask for the IDs, and that's when they they get a surprise. The guy is Mukhlis bin Muhammad. Yeah, the the guy who helped. (laughs) (laughs) The guy who is is running the local religious council, um, who's supposed to make sure everyone else is following the rules. And I'm guessing he's his initial excuse is, oh, well, this is an undercover operation. I was just trying to see if uh, this uh, young woman would do what I was pretty sure she was going to be doing. It was a sting operation, officer. But you have to carry it all the way through to completion, you see, because otherwise you can't make sure that a crime has been committed. I appreciate you coming by, officers. I will be driving off now. Tally ho. (laughs) So the police take him in. They can't believe what's happening. And this is, of course, going to be a scandal. Sure. Oh, this is priceless. Mooklis was sentenced to be publicly flogged 28 times. Hmm. The woman, 23. Hmm. The deputy mayor uh, had to admit, uh, he said this to the BBC. He's, he's like, look. It's God's law. It doesn't matter who you are. If you break the rules, you're going to get flogged. And that's what happened with Mookless. Oh, Mookless. So the date is set. It's an ordinary day. Other than that, the whole town is buzzing because they want to see Mookless get get caned. Get caned publicly. Yeah. The stage is set right in the town square where usually you just see folks haggling over fish. But but not today. No, put down that mackerel. We got something really special for you. (laughs) Today, all the eyes were glued on the platform where the flogging was about to happen. The crowds gathered around and uh, maybe some are feeling bad for the guy. I don't know. Others thinking maybe he had it coming. I I would be in that latter uh, crowd. Yeah, I would, too. Yeah, I would, too. So he gets up on the stage and you can almost feel the irony hanging in the air. Here's the guy who's supposed to enforce these rules. He wrote them. He wrote the damn thing. 
It's his work. <laughs> he, he's getting flogged publicly. So the caner shows up and he's all covered up. Some kind of like almost like a grim reaper thing. The only thing that, that the caner's uh, only part of his body that's allowed to be showing is just his eyes because they don't want people tracking the caner down and taking out their frustration on him. So he's got right. this rattan cane. And he raises it in the first lash hits, and you can tell that Mooklas feels it. But he's got to stand there and take 27 more of these things. So after the whole thing's over, witnesses say the people just started heading home like nothing had happened. <laughs> Game's over. Game's over. Maybe picking up their conversation about the best sambal recipe or something. I'm not sure. Yeah, you want to go get something to eat? Yeah, let's let's go grab a bite, shall we? I wonder if they sell like merch at this kind of thing, you know, like like the big foam number one fingers. Yeah. Or I yeah. saw a flogging uh, keychain. I came for a caning, but got this <laughs> stupid T-shirt instead. <laughs> yep. I think it was Chaucer. And I believe it was in the Reeves tale from uh, Canterbury Tales who wrote. And I'm yeah. paraphrasing here. Uh, Karma's a bitch. <laughs> that was Chaucer, wasn't it? I think it was Chaucer, yeah. yeah. I remember that now from my high school lit class, yeah. Most assuredly Chaucer. Yeah, I, I got my information mm. from the BBC, the Washington Post, the Guardian, and uh, Canterbury Tales. So, there you go. <laughs> oh, that's delicious. <laughs> Just delicious. When Johann Rahl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. But what it actually was, was a warning, delivered to the Hessian colonel, letting him know that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware and would soon attack his forces. The next day, when Rawl lost the Battle of Trenton and died from two Colonial Boxing Day musket balls, the letter was found, unopened in his vest pocket. As someone with 15,000 unread emails in his inbox, I feel like there's a lesson there. Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at constantpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. It's a brand new year, and with it comes the obligatory resolutions. Well, here at The Shallow End, we'd like to propose something different. Resolutions that are easy to keep. Here's our list for 2024. Number one, quit the gym. I mean, you never go anyway and you're paying how much per month? Fuck that noise, cancel it. Number two, start smoking. I mean, it looks so cool and those movies on TCM, right? All dramatic and stuff. Number three, now that you're smoking, you're probably gonna lose weight, so you should start eating more. And not just more, but the stuff you really wanna eat, like fried chicken and stuff, I mean, at least three times a week. Number four, your relationships with family and friends. You ever calculated how much time that sucks up from your week? I mean, it's hours. So cut a few people from your life. Even better, don't tell them why, just ghost them. See how fun these resolutions are? And finally, number five, start driving more aggressively. Cut that guy off. I mean, he cut you off back at that last stoplight. You really gonna take that shit? Hell no. Drive like a jerk. You've been polite behind the wheel your whole life and where did it get you? Your 2024 is gonna rock. Because these resolutions are not only fun, they're easy. Happy 2024 from all of us at The Shallow End.
The email address is lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com. I'm going to share a couple uh, today because they're, they're brief. One from Brandy. She's a fine girl. Well, you know what a good wife she would be? But unfortunately, the guy she was in love with, yeah. his life, his love, and his story was the sea. I can picture that locket in my uh, in my head. Anyway, Brandy says, hey, guys, love the show. I've listened to you since the beginning of all your episodes. I have to admit something. Your in-between commercials got me today. It took me a little too long <laughs> to realize that the commercial telling me to put spinach in my ice cream was not legit. <laughs> Our work is done here. Uh, I like that both yeah. of you also have a slightly cruel sense of humor. <laughs> saying that I work in the ER should explain all of that. Look forward to all your shows. Keep it up. Brandy. Almost neighbors once. Parentheses. Lakeland, Florida. Ah, Lakeland. Yes. Also an email from Michelle who says, damn it, you guys are wonderful people. I just love when an email starts that way. We can end it right there, Linz, as far as you want, as, as I'm concerned. Then she goes on to say, gush, gush, profess undying love, curse all of you for ruining my romantic relationships because none of them ever live up to yours. <laughs> I just hit pause on episode 60 where you questioned if there are alligators in St. Paul, Minnesota. Fun fact, I don't know. <laughs> what I do know, however, is that there are boa constrictors in Lake Elmo. Shut up. For your listeners, Lake Elmo, Minnesota is a small quaint town that's just a squidge, I love that term, northeast of St. Paul. It has one main road through town that's lined with wholesome mom-and-pop businesses, although the scenery is changing drastically due to developers. My mom plays cards at one of the restaurants in Lake Elmo that is highly regarded for their upscale all-you-can-eat brunches. Hmm. My family falls closer to the white trash end of the spectrum, <laughs> so I was mortified when my mom called and claimed she found a snake on the restaurant's sidewalk. I just played along on the phone because my mom's pushing 80. She always had problems with her vision, so misidentifying things is a common occurrence. Uh -huh. She then begins to tell me that she rushed back into the restaurant, told every staff member she could find about the snake. Now all I could feel is shame and embarrassment. I knew there was no snake. Instead, it was going to be a piece of garden hose or a damn stick, mm. knowing my mom's bad vision. Mm. Besides, who the hell cares if it's a snake? Leave it alone. <laughs> Don't cause chaos in this nice restaurant. Mom says, but what if someone gets bit and dies? We don't know how poisonous it is, my mom exclaimed. My eyes rolled so hard, they <laughs> fell out of my head. Well, the word spread throughout the restaurant that there was uh, as if there was a fire. People rushed onto the sidewalk to behold a mysterious creature slash stick. Luckily, one of the cooks there was a, quote, snake enthusiast. Okay. He came out from the kitchen and confirmed, one, yes, it really was a snake, and two, it was a baby boa constrictor. Oh, my God. These snakes are not no. native to Minnesota no. or even the U.S., so it's assumed to be someone's pet that was released in, into the wild when they didn't want it anymore. Yeah, it's a bad thing to do. Fortunately, the cook was able to wrangle it and brace yourself. I love this sentence. The cook adopted the snake. Aww. All in a day's work. My mom properly identified the slithering reptile, notified the proper authorities, protected all patrons and an entire community, plus united the poor helpless snake with a loving home. Way to go, mom. I'm sorry for doubting you. While alligators in St. Paul continue to be a mystery, I hope you can appreciate the slightly related story with a very happy ending. At least I know Cat can. Oh, yes. Love the podcast. Keep up the good work and stop messing with my love life. Sincere Michelle. Sincerely, Michelle with a last name that's pronounced. And she 
spells it out. It's Polish. I can't imagine you'll add it to your list of great names, but it's definitely unique. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Michelle. Thanks, Michelle. What a great story. Yeah. I love the fa- I love when she says about alligators in St. Paul. Fun fact, I don't know. <laughs> she has our sense of humor. That's for she sure. She does. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com. Thank you, Michelle. You're in the shallow end with Schnappley and Toth. My story, JG, and yes. I'm glad you went first because mine could not be less about Sharia law and public uh, <laughs> canings. Okay, good. Good. I think I've had enough of that for the day. I call this one Not All Robberies Pan Out. And uh, <laughs> this gets a shout out to a listener named Laura who actually sent the lifeguard this story as a suggestion. You and I, JG, and, and Kat, I think, have all talked about cooking as sort of a, a passion, yes. kind of a, a fun a fun thing to do. It's, it's relaxing. It's kind of zen-like for me, just chopping onions. Just You open a bottle of wine yep. in the kitchen. You start you know, Dyson vegetables and chatting and you got music playing in the background mm-hmm. and the kitchen starts to smell better and better with this food. And it's just, God, I just love it. I got into it during the pandemic and it, it's about the only good thing that I think, well, one of the few good things that came out of the pandemic is I got to be pretty, pretty handy with a spatula and a cast iron skillet. <laughs> I don't know, Linz. I've always thought that of you. Really? Yeah. Well, at least the spatula part. That's true. I do remember our Our spatula days. Our college spatula days. Boy, the things you can do with a spatula. That's all I'm going to say. It's a good thing there wasn't Sharia law where we were then. That's right. Fortunately, we had a spatula and a drop cloth and a healthy sense of curiosity. (laughs) Roll that around in your head, folks. So this cooking story takes place in a small town called Elyria, Ohio. That's about half an hour southwest of Cleveland. This goes back to February of 2009. It's a Tuesday afternoon, and the protagonist in our story is a woman named Ellen Basinski. Ellen, at the time, was 70 years old. She was the wife of a judge, a Lorain County family court judge named David Basinski. And she ended up metting out a little domestic justice of her own on this particular Tuesday afternoon. So here's the setup. Ellen is alone in her kitchen and she has started dinner for the couple. It's three in the afternoon. Now she's on the phone with her husband, the judge, David, and she looks out the window and she notices four young men in their driveway. And she thinks, huh, (laughs) well, why would they be standing in my driveway? And her husband, the judge, later explained to reporters, She and I talk every day about 3 p.m. We tell each other about our day, what we're going to have for dinner. While we're talking, my wife said, David, what are those four boys doing in our driveway? (laughs) And her husband, who's at work, automatically thinks, what four guys? Mm -hmm. What do you mean there there are four guys in the driveway? He says, the next thing I heard was the front door being pushed open and someone yells to my wife, give me your money. Oh, boy. Yeah. So David, the husband, is understandably concerned. Ellen, who's now at home with four intruders in her kitchen, is thinking, what the hell's going on? This is a home invasion robbery at three in the afternoon? God in heaven. This this 
lovely 70-year-old woman is just trying to make dinner and talk to her husband. And now these four shitheads have, have busted <laughs> through the front door. And you got thugs in your kitchen. And she's how old again? She's 70 at this, okay. at this time. All right. So she's making dinner at three in the afternoon. Uh, yeah. And she only probably has an hour to finish it. Unless she ends up burning it. And then she and her husband decide to do the sunset sampler. Oh, yes. Because that goes till 4.30 in the afternoon. <laughs> mm-hmm. Anyway, Ellen said, uh, all of a sudden, she's got these four thugs that have burst into her kitchen. One of them, she said, picks up my purse and dumps it out. Mm. And she said, now my purse is like Fibber McGee's closet. <laughs> well, there's a timely reference. <laughs> Fibber McGee and Molly. It's got everything in there, she said. And I got very, very angry. Now, remember, her husband, the judge, mm-hmm. is on the phone and he's overhearing all of this go down. Oh, my God. So he tells an assistant, call 911. And he and his bailiff a guy named Tony Pawinski, jump into a car and they start driving toward the judge's house where they know that his wife, Ellen, is being robbed. Now, the courthouse is only a few miles from his home, but they manage to get stuck in traffic. Oh, no. And he says, he explains that uh, Illyria High School had just let out. There were people in cars everywhere. And then we saw police cars and an ambulance rush by. And that's when I got really frightened. And I don't blame him. I can't fathom. That's got to be, he said it took them 12 minutes to get there, but that had to feel like 12 hours. You know, your wife is in danger. You know that she's being robbed. Somebody's already busted through your front door. When you think about it, the average kitchen has lots of things that can be used as a weapon. I mean, what's the first thing that comes comes to mind? Butcher knife. Exactly what I thought. Chef's knife. Um, scissors. Maybe a, a pot of boiling water on the stove. But Ellen, God bless her, went much more primal on this beautiful Ohio Tuesday afternoon. Before she says she even gave it much more thought about what to do, she instinctively grabs her Emerald Legacy five-quart saucepan. Now, this shithead is pawing through her purse like a crow looking for a shiny object, and Ellen had had enough. She said, I picked up that saucepan, and I smacked him right on the head. (laughs) This 18-year-old kid looks up at me and says, lady, why did you do that? So you know what? I hit him again. (laughs) Yeah, she did. Picture that, a five-quart saucepan right on the skull. And that's when this kid starts to cry. I just love this part. Mr. Tough Guy Robber is pouting and holding his head in pain. And all four kids who had busted in obviously didn't expect anything like this, that that this woman was going to fight back. Uh, So one of the other kids, as a distraction, throws a bottle of Jack Daniels uh, at Ellen, hits her in the foot. Now, did he have that with him? 
or he had he gotten it from her kitchen he picked it up off the counter and she okay. actually said i saw him holding that bottle and i was afraid that he was going to drink it and i know that alcohol wouldn't be good for a young person <laughs> especially before dinner exactly it's only three in the afternoon for crying out loud it's not even five o'clock the bar's not at you know happy hour hasn't started <laughs> So he later, this kid who threw the, the bottle of Jack Daniels at Ellen, later told police he was trying to distract her so that uh, the guy who got whacked on the head with the saucepan could get away. Well, you remember Mike Tyson once saying, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face? I thought that was Chaucer. <laughs> it might have been. I think Mike Tyson co-opted it from okay. Chaucer. All right. Karma's a bitch and everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. From what I understand, uh, Mike Tyson was a uh, was a big Chaucer aficionado. He loved him some Chaucer. Some, some classical English literature. I think he pronounced it Chaucer because that's just, just how evolved wow. he was. So these four geniuses obviously never counted on Ellen and her five-quart saucepan. They realize she's no easy prey and they just run. They head out the door, but they didn't get far because neighbors who have now heard a ruckus inside the kitchen have come out and the police are there almost instantly and the neighbors point to the kids, you know, running down the street. Right. So police end up arresting this jerk named Patrick, who was 18 at the time. The others are juveniles, 17, 16, 15. So their names were not released. But all four of these punks are charged with felony aggravated burglary. Good for them. Ellen says, we have a great neighborhood watch group. They helped the police who were also fantastic and they caught them. So the judge, <laughs> remember, it took him 12 minutes to get there. <clears throat> Right. When he left his office. Must have been 12 very long minutes from his perspective. Very long minutes. He pulls up with his bailiff and he sees Ellen, who's unhurt, standing on the front lawn. Holding the saucepan. Holding the saucepan. And she's having a spirited discussion <laughs> with the police. She's clutching this this Emerald Lagasse saucepan. Mm hmm. So the police are there. They bring the four kids over, you know, in cuffs. Ellen says, yeah, that's them. The kids end up handcuffed in the back of squad cars, driven away. So the police take her statement. She walks them inside to the kitchen. She shows them where everyone was standing. Here's where jerk number one was when I whacked him in the skull with a five-quart quart saucepan. Mm -hmm. And here's where I, th this, this twist that I just love. One of the cops finally says, okay, he's taken down her statement. He says, we're going to need to take that saucepan in as evidence. <laughs> Not you my saucepan. You used it to defend yourself. It's evidence at a crime scene. And Ellen hits the freaking roof. You uh -huh. are not taking my saucepan. That is my favorite saucepan. And now her judge, her husband, gets involved. He's like, honey, I understand this is your favorite saucepan, but you've got to give it to the police. You're going to get it back. And she's like, no, I know. Once I give it to them, I'm never going to get it back. But he finally takes her aside and says, honey, please just give him the saucepan. And so she reluctantly hands over the saucepan. The judge told reporters that day she was upset. She had to turn it over. It was her favorite saucepan, but the police needed it as evidence. 
The couple later realizes that they had hired one of these suspects weeks before to shovel their driveway. Okay. And Ellen had given them, because this is the kind of woman she is, she had given them a huge tip. And they thought, oh, these people had a lot of money. Yeah. Let's go back and rob them. And the judge said, it's sad when that's what you get for trying to be kind to somebody. No kidding. Now, the judge is grateful as is Ellen, that things ended as well as they did. But he said he had a long talk with her after the cops left. He said, my wife did all all the things I told her never to do in that kind of situation. I specifically said, when you're burgled, do not bean the burglar with your favorite saucepan. With your Emerald Lagasse five-quart saucepan. But he said, I got to tell you, we've been married 47 years She's raised five sons. My wife is not afraid of anything. (laughs) Here's the best part. The police leave. They take the saucepan. They say, we're going to bring it back in a couple of weeks after the case is wrapped up. Well, Ellen gets a phone call the next day from Good Morning America, because this story has made a local paper, which gets picked up by a wire service and just the same way that you and I are reacting to the story. People love this story. So a producer from Good Morning America says, hey, we're going to be talking to Emeril Lagasse later. (laughs) And Ellen says, I wanted to say to them, well, can you have him send me a new pan? (laughs) But I didn't because I thought that that would make me sound greedy. Mm. This is where the story gets even better. Emeril Lagasse himself hears the story (laughs) And how Ellen Basinski fought off four burglars with her favorite five-quart Emerald Lagasse saucepan. And this guy goes into action quicker than you can say, bam, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, what he's famous for saying. Right. He picks up the phone. He gets Ellen's phone number and calls her and says, I'm really sorry about you having to give up that saucepan. But I'm going to make it up to you. I'm going to send you an entire set of my cookware. Well, that's just smart marketing. Isn't it? That's just smart. He says, it just blew my mind. This is Lagasse saying on the phone. I mean, I felt terrible for her, not only about that situation that she faced, but that she was worried that she might not get the pan back. (laughs) That's not good. That's just not good. Ellen ends up telling reporters, well, God love him. Emeril shipped her a brand new 10 piece set of software, which retails for hundreds of dollars. And the family's admiration for Legacy apparently extends to the couple's youngest son named Michael, who said, you know, he he, Michael, the son, emailed Emeril and said, you saved my mom's life. No, (laughs) that's why I entitled this. Not all robberies pan out. (laughs) Pan out. See what I did there? I see it now. Am I a freaking genius? You are more than a genius. I got this story from the Cleveland Plain Dealer. I I do not have an Emerald Lagasse saucepan, but I have gotten crazy into uh, cooking with cast iron. We had a, a big discussion about skillets not long ago. And I how think we <laughs> did, which just shows you at some point in your friendship, you've talked about so much that you end up having long conversations about skillets. Yes. It's like there's nothing else to talk about. We're down to cookware, Linz. This is, this is where we find ourselves. That's what the decades will do. I shudder to think what we'll talk about in our 90s. 
it won't matter because neither one of us will understand what the other one's saying or remember it the next day. Lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com. That's where you can uh, send us your comments, your stories. We love your stories. And uh, and so much more. I mean, you know, we'll accept uh, I don't know, PayPal if you want to send us money. Yeah, that'd be Venmo. Cool. Venmo's <laughs> always good. If you're willing to just shovel cash in our direction, mm-hmm. we're not going to turn it down. No. We'll even give you a proper shout out. Wouldn't that be fun? Not one of those offhanded shout outs that we give no. people who don't send us money. <laughs> Good Lord, we sound like a TV evangelist now. Yeah, yeah. Let's stop this matter. We wish you a very happy 2024. We appreciate you subscribing and listening and sending in your emails. It truly is humbling, the number of people who say that, you know, your podcast makes me laugh at work. My coworkers look at me like I'm an idiot because (laughs) they wonder why I'm laughing in my cubicle. But we really do... We really do take that to heart and are genuinely appreciative of you guys. We definitely are. And if uh, you find it in your heart to share the podcast with a friend, well, we're not going to complain. Damn it. We would love it. In the meantime, continue, especially now as we head into 2024, (laughs) to make good choices. Your life might depend on it. So concludes another episode of The Shallow End with Schnebley and Toff. We thank you for listening. Oh, be a dear, would you? Please subscribe to this podcast, give these boys a five-star rating, and think of something nice to say, even if you have to make something up. And visit us online at shallowendpodcast.com. Okay, gotta go. <laughs>